Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good, good. It is, it is cold and it's wet and it's snowy out there, but it's good to be inside where it's warm and get to worship God together. Thank you all for being here today. For those of you who are here with us in the room, welcome to all of you that are watching us online at home right now. We hope to see you soon. And uh, we are going to spend some time in the Word today. And one of the things I'm so excited about Rooted is it does get us into the Word of God. So I really encourage all of you to go through Rooted. Uh, we'll be offering it multiple times this year, so please take advantage of that. It is a wonderful discipleship course. And uh, just a great experience and a, and a lot of wonderful things to go through. So I highly, highly encourage everyone to go through Rooted this year uh, if you are able to. Another thing I wanted to mention today, though, was this is, um, this is kind of an anniversary and not a good anniversary. Because it was January 22nd in 1973 when the Supreme Court made the ruling that abortion would be legal on demand in all 50 states. And, and those of us who believe in the word of God and believe what God says about life and believe that, that all life is sacred and created in the image of God and that innocent life should not be taken, that's a, that's a tragic thing that we remember. It was 11 years later that Ronald Reagan implemented the National Sanctity of Human Life Day, and, and now churches on a regular basis every year will recognize National Human um, Sanctity of Life Sunday as being typically this Sunday or sometimes next Sunday, depending on when the church wants to do it just to celebrate the gift of life that God has given, to remember the lives that were lost uh, tragically due to abortion, and to commit to protecting all human life. Did you know that over 2,000 abortions happen every day in this country? Over 2,000. That's just absolutely incredible. And it's, it's a tragic and senseless loss of life, and, and we certainly want to see it end. Um, we recognize the fact that God has, has given every, every human being, no matter how small, whether born or unborn, um, his spark of life and, and the creation of being in the imagio dei, the image of God, these special little things, and we don't want to see any of them lost. Um, but we also recognize that not only do we want to see the prevention of the killing of innocent children, but we also want to see the care for people that are caught in difficult situations, in unexpected pregnancies, um, who, who may not know where to turn or what to do. And so that's why we partner with Thrive STL. You may have seen Thrive here not long ago. We had a big campaign with them, and we'll have Thrive in again this year. Thrive does a great job making sure that they care for women who are caught in a difficult situation, trying to decide what to do next, and are being convinced by so many people around them and the culture around them that it's not really a human life. It's, it's just some, some tissues. It, it doesn't really exist as a person yet, and it's okay to, to go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. And obviously we know that that, that is a lie. Abortion is murder. It's the taking of innocent life. And as much as we want to see that end, and we may have the opportunity to see that end in the near future, at least, at least not the kind of support that it's had nationwide uh, with Roe versus Wade and the potential overturning of that coming up. Um, but we also want to make sure that we care for the women who have either had an abortion in the past or are thinking about having an abortion and find themselves in that situation. And so as we think about the sanctity of human life, Sunday, and we, and we certainly pray um, that we would see this end in our country. Um, we also need to recognize that we as Christians have to be careful to provide the care and support that needs to go along with that, that goes around that. We have to be intentional in caring for people, not only when they get in that situation, but before they get in that situation. There may be young men and women around you that need to know that Christians love them and don't shame them and want to support them and help them so that when they find themselves in a difficult situation, they can say, I know who to turn to. I know who to go to to get advice. 
and they're not going to find themselves looking in the wrong places. So my challenge and encouragement to you today is to be mindful uh, of the people that are around you, of your neighbors, of the people that you see when you go out and interact with others in the community, and, and always be thinking about the fact that this is someone who God loves and God cares about, and they may have the opportunity to make a life-changing decision at some point in their life for them or for someone that they're in a relationship with. They may have the opportunity to seek out a Christian and say, hey, what do you have to say about this? Because you showed them love, because you showed them care. And we want to be that kind of people, the kind of people where when someone finds himself in a difficult circumstance, they know, hey, they can come to them for help. They can come to you for help. One of the ways that we need to deal with abortion in our country is not by lumping shame on people, is not by condemning people, um, is, is not by creating any kind of barriers between us and other people, but it's by showing love and care and help. So let's be those people in our everyday lives. Let's continue to support Thrive, and let's be praying for what is likely the upcoming decision that will be made by the Supreme Court on whether or not Roe v. Wade stands in this country in all 50 states. The justices, <coughs> excuse me, have indicated that they may be willing to take this case up. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just bow your heads with me for a moment. And can we pray about this together, you, you in your seats or at home or wherever you're at? Heavenly Father, over 50 million lives lost in this country alone. Precious little lives that um, were created in part due to actions of people that didn't necessarily know what they were doing or, or weren't planning on having a child, but nonetheless that sparked this little life that you've created and fashioned in your own image. And we do believe that the life that you've created is a special thing, and it's not something that should be taken innocently. And science continues to prove over and over again that, that these are human beings, not just clumps of tissue. God, I pray that you would help the people who are right now struggling with this very difficult decision that's in front of them. And, and wondering who to believe. I pray that you would help lead them to people like Thrive or other pregnancy centers around the country, people who will show them their baby, who will help them to understand the, the, all of the details of the decision that they are thinking about making, Lord. I pray for those that have had an abortion in the past, Lord, um, that you would help to bring healing and comfort in their life, help them to be an example and a testimony to others, that good may come out of a, a decision that they may regret from a long time ago. God, I pray for our country, for our nation, for the sin of our nation, the sin that we have allowed to continue in this country. Lord, that maybe a step could be taken in the next couple of months to see Roe v. Wade overturned, um, to see this be a decision that then goes back to the individual states and to see, as many states already have done, choose life and choose to respect life, all life, Lord. I pray that we as a church that your church all over the country and all over the world would be a place known not for shame or condemnation, because that's not our role, but known for love and for help and for care and for support to so the people that do find themselves in a difficult circumstance and maybe don't know where to turn and maybe don't feel they have a support network, would at least know that they're loved by the people of God and that they will be supported by the people of God. Help us to be that people, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Um, I want to shift gears now, and we're going we're gonna to get into 1 Timothy. We have two weeks left of 1 Timothy, and this is a series that I was reminded by someone this morning started 
in, uh, was it early 2019, I believe? And we had to push pause on it for a while because of the pandemic, and then we got back into it in August of last year, and now we're wrapping up First Timothy. And uh, I say in one sense, we're finally wrapping up First Timothy, not because I haven't enjoyed it, but just because I'm ready to do something different. You know, after a while, you're just like, okay, we've been in this for a while, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. And, and my son heard that this morning as I was talking with somebody else here at church. He's like, you mean you don't like preaching about First Timothy? No, 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 I like it. It's just I'm ready for something new. I'm excited about that. But we're in Paul's closing statements here today, and he's going to make some summary statements for us and give some final challenges to Timothy. It's almost like he's, he's now sort of putting a bow on this whole thing and saying, all right, everything I've just taught you, let me just give you one big push at the end to make sure you do it, make sure you understand how important it is. And so I want to ask you a question as we get started here, just to start, sort of get us thinking along the lines of where Paul is going to have Timothy thinking. And the question is this, and I really do want to hear your answers. I actually want you to shout stuff out if you've got something. So here's the question. What is worth fighting for? What is worth fighting for? Children. Children? Good. What else? Our country? Good. What's worth fighting for? The truth? Saving lives? I heard something else, but I couldn't get it. Love. Thank you. Thank you. I should have picked up on that. What else? What's worth fighting for? Marriage. Marriage, yes. Absolutely. There are a lot of things that are worth fighting for. And Paul is going to go there with Timothy and say, hey, there's something that's really worth fighting for here. I want you to fight. I want you to fight for this, for everything that I've been telling you. We're going to read about it in First Timothy. And as we do this, I want you to be thinking about two things. One is, what is it that Paul wants Timothy to be fighting about? What does that fight look like? And the other is why. Why is that fight important? So First Timothy chapter 6 is where we're at. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, First Timothy chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 12. Here's what Paul says. He says, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. I'm just going to read the whole passage for us, and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Verse 13 says, and I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault with you from now until Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will all honor and power to him forever. Amen. And you might think with the way that section closes that that's the end of the letter. It's not. There's a whole other section that we'll get into next week, and that will actually be our last message in 1 Timothy. But there are three words that I want you to remember for today. Three key words from this passage that if you get those three words, you'll have the, the overall summary of what Paul is talking about here pretty well, and we'll explain what each of them means. The words are fight, hold, and hope. Fight, hold, and hope. Paul instructs Timothy to fight the good fight. But he doesn't give a lot more detail in this passage right here about what that good fight means. 
What does Paul mean when he says to fight? What does that look like, Paul? Is that a, is that a physical fight? Is that, well, how do I actually do that? And so we need to do a little bit of a word study here. The word for fight is agonizu. And agonizu, as you probably could guess, is where we get our word agonize comes, where that word comes from, agonize or agonizu. It's a word that means to struggle or to strive for something. Like you're agonizing, but not just in agony, you're agonizing to get something. You're agonizing to accomplish something. You're striving, you're pursuing something. And at this time period, when Paul was writing this, agonizu was commonly used in athletics. It was used for athletes that were striving for something, either because they were running to get to the the front of the pack in a race, or because they were wrestling or boxing. They were doing something athletic. They were agonizing to accomplish something, to compete, to win. Paul actually uses the word in this exact way in 1 Corinthians. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. That word for athletes there is actually a version of agonizu because what he's actually saying is all competitors, all agonizers, all people striving to pursue something are disciplined in their training. And so it's the same word there. They do it to win a prize, he says, that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. We'll come back to that. But then he says, I discipline my body like an athlete. And there it is again, like an agonizer, like an agonizu, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I, I love the fact that Paul uses sports metaphors. Paul was a sports guy. Did you know that? If Paul lived today, we would have a whole lot of football analogies in the Bible. Okay, that's just how it is. He loved sports. It was clear that he liked going and watching sports. He liked the races. He liked boxing. He probably liked wrestling. Those were some of the big ones back then. And he uses those analogies and metaphors in in his writing to talk about and explain the Christian faith. And he saw these parallels between the sports world and the Christian world and the, the discipline that an athlete had to have and the discipline that a Christian had to have. And the the agonizing pursuit and the striving for that an athlete had to have and the agonizing pursuit that a Christian has to have to be effective in in his Christian walk, in his walk with God. I love the fact that Paul mentions shadow boxing. You know, Isn't isn't that so cool that he actually references shadow boxing in here? And when I think of shadow boxing, it only makes me think of one thing immediately, which is Rocky, because there was an awful lot of that in Rocky. And how many of you have seen the Rocky movies? How many of you have seen all the Rocky movies? I haven't even seen all the Rocky movies. That's a bit much. There's like 15 of them. But in the Rocky movies, you have these training montages. You know what I'm talking about? Some of them are long, like 10 minutes long of just cheesy synth music and lots of this, you know, lots of this. Lots of Sylvester Stallone training and then his opponent training and cutting back and forth. Way too many close-ups of gym shorts. I don't know why they have so many close-ups of the shorts. It makes no sense to me at all. But an awful lot of shadow boxing, an awful lot of training. And what is Paul's point here? He's saying, hey, I'm not just shadow boxing here. I'm not just beating my fist into the air. I'm actually doing stuff. I've got purpose in what I'm doing. It's a big deal. Why is it? Because they, they're doing this to win a prize that's going to fade away. All the glory, the trophies, the medals, all of that stuff. First of all, it's just not worth very much, technically speaking. You know, even the best medals and trophies might be worth a couple thousand dollars, a few thousand dollars for the really, really nice ones that are made of, like, the actual medals they claim to be. Most of these are just plastic covered with, you know, a cheap kind of lookalike. But e- even if it is a valuable prize, it's all going to fade away. 
None of it's going to last into eternity. So he says they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, the reward matters to Paul. The, the future reward, the prize that is coming, the payoff for being a good fighter in God's kingdom is way better than the payoff for being a good fighter in sports. The payoff is bigger, and so there should be more purpose in what we're doing, more intentionality. We should be more serious about it, more disciplined about it. So Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we studied this recently, he says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. There is a reward for the training for godliness and for fighting the good fight. There's a benefit there. There's, there's a reward that athletes get for all their hard work and for their being disciplined. And they have to turn down a lot of good things that they would like to do. And there's a reward for those of us who stay faithful in our walk with Jesus. And, and not just faithful and not just kind of go along with it, but actually pursue it and strive and agonize and continue in it. And are willing to fight those battles, to fight the good fight. There is a reward there that is so much better and so much greater than anything you could get in sports. It's a great reward. And Paul is going to go into to more detail about this actually in his next letter, 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, we're going, to, we're going to jump there actually so that we can see it. We're at the end of Paul's life now. So fast forward a little bit in your minds. And Paul is now looking back on his life. And he's writing his last letter to Timothy. And he's saying, uh, I've, I've lived a lot. And that fight is behind me now. How do I think about that? How do I look back and reflect on that, Timothy? He says in, in chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now, he says, the prize awaits me. That prize that I've been telling you about, that I keep telling you to fight, fight for, keep pressing on for, that prize now awaits me. It's all, I've almost got it. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize, by the way, is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. This is not just a Paul thing. This is an every believer in Jesus thing. There's a, a reason and a purpose and a destination to all of Paul's striving that he is pursuing for. That's why there's purpose in every step. And if that's true for every one of us, not just for Paul, but for all of those who eagerly look forward to Jesus' return, who are part of God's family, then shouldn't most of our energy and effort be spent on pursuing that instead of so many other things that we spend our time on? Paul says physical training is good. There's some value to that. There's a lot of things you can do in this life that are good, and I'm not necessarily saying don't do any of that, but there's something far better. So shouldn't that be where our focus is? There's a bigger prize, a greater reward. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I don't have it on the screen, but... He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I discipline my body like an athlete. There's that word again. Like an agonizu, an agonizer. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Just like an athlete is trained, I'm training. Just like an athlete is disciplined, I'm disciplined. That's my perception of the Christian walk. It's got to be like I'm an elite level athlete. The things they're willing to do for that reward in sports, I need to be willing to do for the reward Christ has in front of me. Now, you might ask, what does it mean to fight exactly? What does that fight look like? And Paul actually gives the answer earlier in this letter. In the very first chapter, something we uh, studied back in early 2019. You, you all remember it, don't you? 
if a little bit has happened between then and now. It's verse 18 of chapter 1. Paul says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic word spoken about you earlier, and then get this, this is the most important thing. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. What does it mean to fight the good fight? See, what Paul is saying at the end of his letter to Timothy is, everything I've just told you, that I told you I was going to tell you so that you could fight, now I'm telling you, fight that good fight. Everything I've just shared with you, that's what it means to fight the good fight. Make sure you're doing all of these things. That's the fight that you need to fight. What did he say? He said, correct false teachers. He said, cling to your faith in Christ. He said, pray for all people, even your rulers. He said, teach the men to pray without arguing or controversy. Teach the women to be modest and to respect God's structure for the church. Evaluate leaders carefully and only appoint people of godly character. Avoid foolish arguments that distract people from more important things. Be an example in everything you do so that no one can discredit you even if you're young. Teach the truth even if people around you teach lies. Correct other people in the church graciously. Make sure that those in need are being cared for and those who can provide for themselves aren't greedy. Make sure that the church knows there is a high bar for bringing accusations against an elder and it must be done in an appropriate way. Teach people not to love money, but to be content. You remember that from just a couple weeks ago. Run from all the evil things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's what we talked about last week. What you just heard in one minute is a summary of how to fight the good fight at least from this letter. That's not all there is to it. But what Paul has chosen to share this time in 1 Timothy are those things so that Timothy can fight well in the Lord's battles. And Paul says it's a fight. It's a fight. And you know what that tells me? It's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. Here's what it tells me. Doing life God's way isn't easy, but it's worth it. Doing life God's way isn't easy, but it's worth it. It's a fight. It's not a cakewalk. It's not something that you can do passively. You can't just float through life and expect it to happen. If you're going to do well and if you're going to be rewarded, there's work involved. And you have to be disciplined and you have to train in godliness. What does that look like on a, on a practical level? Well, I think for starters, it means your spiritual life doesn't just consist of showing up at church on the weekend. It means that throughout the week, you're training. You're spending time in God's word. You're spending time in prayer. You're growing in your spiritual walk with him. This isn't your only source of of food spiritually. And you're disciplining yourself. And you're becoming more content with your situation because you're learning to rely on God instead of the things around you or in what you can do. And so as you continue to do that, we talked about this recently, it's like a muscle that as you exercise it, it gets better and better and better. And it grows and you get stronger in that. And so you're, as you're disciplining yourself and training yourself, you're growing in your ability to trust in God, to have faith in him. You're, you're growing in your ability to fight those battles well so that if something new happens that comes out of nowhere that you didn't expect, you didn't see coming, you're able to handle it because you've been building up that muscle of discipline, of reliance on God, of contentedness. You have to do that in the good times so that in the rough times, you're already strong, ready to fight those battles well. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So fight and fight well and don't give up. 
That's the first word, fight. The next word is hold, hold. We have to fight and we have to hold. In verse 12, Paul says, fight the good fight for the true faith. And then he says, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Now, hold tightly is a really good translation here. Some translations say take hold of, and that's not a terrible translation, technically speaking, um, but it's given a lot of people the wrong idea. Take hold of the eternal life sounds like it's something that I can obtain, that I can get for myself. And that's not at all what Paul is saying here. Hold tightly too is a better translation. Really the idea here, the, the language here, is more along the lines of the idea of after just completing a big race or winning a big boxing match, you're taking hold of the trophy. It's not that the act of taking hold of it acquired it, but, but you are grabbing it, you are holding on to it, or, or getting the belt after winning a boxing match, I'm taking hold of this trophy that's already been won, that's already been provided. I'm taking hold of eternal life. I'm holding tightly to eternal life. What Paul is saying here is that you shouldn't just think of eternal life as something that you get in the future. Now, that's how I usually think about it, just to be honest with you. Usually, my perspective of when I get to eternal life, it's like, well, that'll, then things will be different. I'll have my glorified body, and things will be so good. It'll, it'll be so much better. I think about eternal life as something I get to enjoy then. But one of the things we see in the Bible is that eternal life has an already and a not yet aspect. This is terminology that theologians will use to describe certain things. There is an already and a not yet aspect. Let me show you what I mean by this. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. I added that in there just for context so you know what he's about to say. But now... You are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. So eternal life is something that's a result and it's something that we look forward to. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we learn about eternal life here? Well, two things. Number one, eternal life is a a result, something that we look forward to. But also that eternal life is a free gift from God. It's not something that we earn or obtain on our own. We can't take hold of it in the sense that we earn it. We can take hold of it in the sense that it's a gift that's given to us, a free gift of God that we get to receive and we get to take hold of it. So Paul is saying, you can can have that eternal life now. You can experience that eternal life now. You can enjoy that eternal life now. And we see this in Paul's letter to Titus. In Titus 1-2, he says, this truth gives them confidence that they have Currently, present tense, they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So there is an already aspect of eternal life where we enjoy it now, we rest in it now, we appreciate it now, we hold tightly to it now, and there is a not yet because we don't have the full expression, the full appreciation, the full understanding of what that even means. I don't know what eternity with God is going to look like exactly. I have some wonderful clues, but I don't really know exactly what that eternal life is going to look like. And yet, Paul says, I can hold tightly to it now. I can hope in it. I can rest in it. I can enjoy it. You know, your body at some point is going to die. Your soul is not. The soul you have now is the same soul you're going to have after your body's gone and you get a new body. The eternal life that you will experience in the future is the eternal life that you're actually enjoying right now. You just don't realize it. That should give us a completely different perspective on everything we go through in life. The the scale of what's happening in your life is much bigger than you realize. And the inconveniences and the problems 
and even the tragedies and the trauma relative to all of eternity that you have with Jesus. It's, it's a blip on the radar. It's a little thing. And we can take hold of, we can appreciate, we can hold tightly to that reality of eternal life that we have right now and rest in that fact. Appreciate it. Thank God for it. Live life in light of the eternal life that you have and that you will fully experience later. Now let's read this passage again. Starting in verse 12, 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Then Paul goes on, I, I charge you before God, who gives life to all, and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. Now, what's he talking about here? Jesus gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. What is this? Well, back in John chapter 18, we can see this testimony. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate's asking him a question. Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Now, just a, a side note here, that word, my followers would fight, that's agonizo, same, same word. So strive, fight, agonize over me to keep me from being handed over. But my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. Pilate said, so are you a king? Or, or you, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. This is the testimony that Jesus gave before Pilate. The testimony that he came into the world not to do some big physical overthrow, but to do a spiritual overthrow. That's the testimony that Jesus gave, that he came to bring truth into the world. And Paul is telling Timothy, you gave this good testimony about Jesus before many witnesses. Just like Jesus gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate. And now as a result of that, Timothy, he says in verse 14, I charge you that you obey this command without wavering. This command to fight the good fight and hold tightly to eternal life. Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus comes again. Four, at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will all honor and power to him forever. Amen. This structure here seems like a poem or a song about, about God and who he is. And what Paul is giving us here at the very end is hope. Why do we fight why do we hold tightly to this? Because there is hope. Because we know the future. We know the outcome. We know that in the end, Jesus will be revealed. One day in the future, God will reveal him from heaven. The whole world will know that Jesus is God. And you might say, well, why is he waiting so long? Why doesn't he just do it now? That would be really, really nice if Jesus just came right now and made everything better. I've already believed in him. I'm good. Let's go. And Peter tells us that God is waiting so that more people can become a part of God's kingdom. God is patient and waiting so that more and more people can become a part of that family that hopefully you and I are a part of if you've trusted in Jesus. When Jesus is revealed again, we will experience the eternal life that we have now if we've trusted in him in a fresh way. And it will be wonderful. It will be amazing. And we will get rewarded for how we lived life on earth. Did you fight the good fight? Did you finish the race? Were you disciplined? Were you willing to prioritize the things of God over the things of people? 
Were you willing to say no to some good things that you would want to do, that you'd like to do maybe, because there was something better that you wanted to focus on instead, something for God, to grow in your training of, of godliness, to help other people in Jesus' name? There is a hope in the future and a reward in the future for those that invest their life in the things God has said build up eternal reward. We've talked about that a lot this series. Fight, hold, hope. And I know it's possible that maybe there's some in this room or some who are watched online who have never actually trusted in Jesus. And so for you, you cannot hold tightly to eternal life because you don't have it yet. But the Bible says that if you confess your sins to God and you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you believe that he is the Savior, the one who died for your sins, so that you can have a relationship with God, then he will take away your sin. He will take away the penalty for your sin. He'll take away your sinfulness. And God will start to see you through the lens of the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus actually gives you his perfection, his righteousness. It's an amazing thing, an amazing transaction. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. That doesn't happen yet. That's a, that's a future thing. Paul is saying, in this life, we're still going to mess up. We're still going to have sinfulness. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. It's something that Christ Jesus is doing in me. And I press on to possess what he has already purchased for me. The reason he possessed me. And then he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to lies ahead. Think about the similarity here to, to the other passages about Agonizu. I press on, I strive, I pursue to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You see, eternal life is not something that we can obtain on our own. It's something that God provides to us as a free gift. And yet that doesn't mean that our job then is to sit back and relax and say, well, I've got eternal life now. There's nothing for me to do. There's a lot for us to do. As followers of Jesus, we need to be disciplined. We need to be training for godliness. We need to be fighting the good fight, which means we need to be in the word of God so that we understand what God wants us to do. It means we need to be receptive to the Holy Spirit and his leading in our life. Receptive to him to know when he is telling us, hey, I want you to, to pursue this thing over here. I want you to help this person over there. I want you to, to make sure that you're doing the right things in your life and not doing these things over there. Listening to his leading understanding God's word so that when those fights come in front of us, we're ready to face those battles and to do the things God wants us to do. There's a heavenly reward waiting for those who fight well. I wonder if you would bow your heads in prayer with me right now. Father, we want to fight those battles well, and we know that we can't win them on our own, that it has to be through you. We want to fight the good fight. We want to finish well. We want to hold tightly to the eternal life that you have purchased for us and offered to us as a free gift. We hold on to it not because we're acquiring it or obtaining it of anything that we are doing, but because we accept it as the free gift that you offer. And Lord, I pray that this week you would help us to remember that, yes, this life is tough. And as Paul said, we don't reach perfection anywhere in this life. God, but you... You have called us to something greater. You've called us to something higher and you have rewards waiting for us. Even though we can't see them right now, we don't necessarily feel them right now. Help us to experience the eternal life that you've already given us 
and help us to be consistent and disciplined in our walk with you. Help us to make wise choices that honor you. Help us to be willing to do hard things for you, to fight the good fight, even when it's inconvenient, even when it hurts, even if persecution comes our way, Lord. We don't even know what that looks like yet. Maybe we're starting to get a taste of it. God, help us to fight those battles well, to be faithful, so that when everything is said and done, you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've served me well. You've fought the good fight. And God, for anyone here or, or watching now who doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that you would just touch their heart. Help them to see their need for you. Help them to understand that you want to walk alongside them to give them eternal life, to give them rewards in heaven, to spend eternity with you and be part of your family, but to also enjoy and appreciate and experience that new life, that transformed life now that we are so blessed to receive. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you have done for us. We pray all of this in your precious name.